Hallelujah. All right, let's pray and jump into our healing part six. Heavenly Father, I thank You and praise You for showing up here today. I thank You for uh, the anointing and giving me utterance. Father, I thank You for a spirit of wisdom and revealed knowledge of who You are and what Your Word says. Enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Speak to each individual here today, Father. Get us answers to questions. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, go to the first one for me, Drew. We saw this last time we were here was our little healing pre-flight checklist to see where we're at um, in the healing process. And we said, you know, we need to know what belongs to you. We need to honor the Word because what you honor dictates what you believe. Uh, Jesus said that except you see signs and wonders or miracles, you won't believe. So if we haven't seen any, how are we going to believe? Well, then we come to the next thing was where you create your own faith process. Create up a process of what you can believe. If you can't believe that you get up out of the wheelchair, could you believe you'll wiggle your big toe and work your way up? And we saw this at your initial response to, the, to whatever the diagnosis is. is. It sets the course of your fight. Your initial response will set the course of your fight. And at any time you could change your response and that will dictate your outcome. Whatever your response is will dictate your outcome. And at any time you can change it. But your initial response is key to set up this thing. Are we going to have a long drug out fight? Is this thing going to set up shop? Or will uh, right out the gate we'll nip this thing? Barney Fife it. Then we saw this agreement is uh, key. That who you are you're surrounded by and who do you enter an agreement with. If they're agreeing with you for sickness and defeat and you enter in, and that's the atmosphere that you're in, you're going to get sickness and defeat in your life. Now let's say we went through this whole entire thing and we know the Word and we're doing all this. What happens if you get stuck? Have you ever been in a spot where you know, you man, I'm believing, I'm saying all the right stuff, I've kept my tongue from speaking death, I've kept my tongue from speaking sickness, and I just still can't seem to get it done. You ever been in that spot? Not, not just in healing, but it could be in any area of your life where you're just like, now what? You know. And um, So I want to look and see. Uh, we'll get a running head start with some scriptures. And then we'll see what Jesus says about it. Because we're in the middle of this process. You'll find out where, where, where his disciples got stuck. And then they asked him, well, how come we couldn't get it done? And, and then he gives us a thing. And I, don't, I want to take some time on it. If we don't get it all done today, that's all right, right? Okay, go to the next one, Drew. We saw this, no one belongs to you, 1 Peter 2.24. We all know it, but I want to you know, remind us of this because this should be the first thing that comes out. This should be our initial response to any kind of, we're faced with pain, sickness, or disease, or infirmity. Who his own self bear our sins in, the, uh, in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. You've already been healed. Ye were healed. And we saw that in the Greek. It's the word to cure, and it is used 28 times in the New Testament, and every time it's used, it's always in the context of physical healing. So by His stripes, you've already been healed. God's not going to do one more thing for you to heal you. Go to the next one, Drew. Matthew 8 and verse 17 says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by uh, Isaiah the prophet, saying himself, Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Took our infirmities. Past tense, He took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Remember, infirmities is any deteriorated capacity to live life. That's any kind of... Uh, thing that would set up shop in your body, like a bad knee, a bad back, eyeglasses, allergies, you know, you have a hard time hearing, anything that would deteriorate your capacity to enjoy life is an infirmity. Jesus took that, past tense. Okay, go to the next one, Drew. We saw Mark 6. First thing, when Jesus, he, he had this healing power, he, he started to realize that when he laid hands on folks, they got healed, so he went home to bring this healing home. And in uh, Mark 6, verse 3, it said, Isn't this not the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon are in his sisters here with us, and they were offended at him. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. So we saw, go to the next one, Drew. 
We saw that in verse 5, he said this, and it says in verse 5, he could there do no mighty work. Did it say he wouldn't do anything for him? No, he said he couldn't. He couldn't do anything except lay hands on a few sickly folks and healed them. And he marveled. He was numb with shock, it said in the Greek, because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. So he couldn't do one. You can't believe uh, to receive from Jesus. They didn't honor him. They didn't believe him. They could not receive from him. And he couldn't do anything for them. Go to the next one. We saw in John 4.48, this is when Jesus said to the nobleman, when he was asking to heal my son, he said, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So we see here's the pivot of the whole thing. Here's the anchor of getting healed or anything in life really, but we're talking about healing right now, is, is do you, your own faith or your own unbelief? This is the pivot, the anchor. See, Jesus can't do anything. God can't do anything for you if you don't believe. So here's the pivot. If you, you can believe, then you can get the job done. But if you can't believe, then you can't get the job done. Go to the next one, Drew. We saw this about creating our own faith process. Jesus said this over and over again. Matthew 8 and verse 13, he said, Thou hast believed, so be it done unto you. The way that you believed, it will be done unto you. And then Matthew 9 and verse 22, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made you whole. Thy faith has made you whole. Go to the next one, Drew. Matthew 9, 29. He touched the blind eyes of these uh, two blind guys. And he said, According to your faith, be it unto you. Now, we know if they didn't have the faith to be healed, they wouldn't have been, even though he touched their eyes. According to your faith, be it unto you, whatever it is that you believe. And then he answered uh, the Syrophoenician woman, and he said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto you, even as you will. It's your choice. However you will it to be. I love that statement. That's my favorite of all the, all the rest of them. Because you know what? Sometimes it's hard to put our finger on what faith is or what we believe. But I know what my will is. And I know when I make a choice, I can find that real easy. When, I, when I'm reaching for you know, the desserts or I'm reaching for the vegetables, that's my will in action. It's easy to find that one, isn't it? I can identify it. Sometimes it's hard to know what we believe or what we don't believe. It's kind of a gray area sometimes because we've been taught to believe one thing, but we don't really believe it. But we wouldn't say that we don't believe it because we've always been taught that that's what we believe. Even though we don't know why we believe it, and we're not sure that we do believe it because we don't act on it. But we would never say that we don't believe it. But my will, I can narrow that down to vegetables or cheesecake. You're following? Right? All right, so that'll help us out a little bit if we get stuck, won't it? It, would, it helps me. So we'll go to the next one. So these guys get stuck in here in Matthew 17 and verse 14. Now this is where the disciples get stuck. Now, Jesus was with Peter, James, and John. This is one of the few times where Peter doesn't get in trouble. This is probably his favorite little verse of the you know, Scripture passage because he didn't get in trouble. He was with Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> right, so he's up there. And that, but he did get in trouble when he was up there because remember he said he saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus. He said, let's build us three monuments here. And, and, and just shut up, Peter. Okay, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, but so but they come down from the mountain of transfiguration, and there's a crowd there, and there's the rest of the twelve, and this guy, and, and um, now here comes Jesus in Matthew 17 verse 14, and Peter, James, and John are with them, and they're coming down the hill, and he says, and when they were come to the multitudes, so they came down to the crowd, there came to him a man kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic. <laughs> well, you know he's got to be a teenager. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Right? Now, what he is, he's an epileptic, okay? And so uh, he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's a lunatic. He's sore vexed. Oftentimes he falls into the fire and oftentimes in the water. So he has these seizures. And if he's at the swimming pool, he'll fall right into the swimming pool. We've got to pull him out. And, and sometimes, you know, he's, he's, he, we're cooking near the stove or whatever. And he has seizures. He'll fall right into the cooking fire. So go to the next one, Drew. And he says this, I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't cure him. So let's just stop right here and hang out for a minute. Why would this guy bring his son to the disciples? Isn't Jesus the guy with the, all the healing power? 
Why would he bring him to the disciples? Well, why would he? Well, he must have, there must have been a reason why he brought him to the disciples. Well, I'm glad you asked. That's such a good question. Look over here in Luke chapter 9. Now, this, this has just happened just before the Mount Transfiguration. In fact, in that same chapter of Luke 9, we had this first part of the chapter, and then after the first part of the chapter, a couple weeks goes by, and then he goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, look what it says here in Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. Back up here. Thank you. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together, and he gave them what? Power and authority over how many devils? All devils, and to do what? Cure diseases. So here's it. He called his twelve together, he gave them power and authority over all devils, and to cure diseases. Now, why would this guy bring him to the disciples? Because Jesus, a couple weeks ago, gave all his disciples power over all the devils, and to cure all diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor script, neither bread nor money, neither two uh, coats apiece. And whatsoever uh, house you enter into, abide there and then depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and they went throughout all the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now why would this guy bring his disciples? Son to the disciples? Because these guys were out doing it. I mean, he's not uninformed. These guys were going from town to town to town to town. Jesus sent them out. He sent them out. And he had, they had power over how many devils? All devils. And, and to cure what? Diseases. Now, if you just flip over one page to Luke chapter 10. Just one page of Luke chapter 10. Now, after all these things, the Lord appointed another 70 also. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and every place, whether he himself would come or not. So whether he goes there or not, he's sending 70 more people. So now we got Jesus plus the 12, that's 13, and then we had 70. So now we got 83 people going out, healing people, and having power over all the devils, all the demons. Right? Okay, well, it ain't just Jesus ain't a one man show. We kind of think that, though, don't we? These guys were doing the works of Jesus, weren't they? Yeah. And so look over here in um, verse 17, because they go out and do it. And then they come back after they went out and they went on their ministry tour. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. And he said, Behold, I saw Satan falling as lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power. How much of the power of the enemy? all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding this, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, how many, how many spirits did they have power over? Did they come back and say, well, we just couldn't get it done. I don't know why we couldn't get this, guy, this demon cast out. Did they say that? No. Now, these are the 70. I mean, no, the 70 probably didn't have as tight a relationship as the 12, did they? Wouldn't you think that the 70 was probably watered down a little more? They wouldn't have as much results as the 12 would. And then the 12 probably wouldn't have the same results as Jesus did. Wouldn't you think that? So he, he, they brought, he brought them to the disciples back here in Matthew 17 and verse 16. He says, I brought them to your disciples and they couldn't cure him. So why would he bring them to the disciples? Because the disciples are out there, not just the 12, but the 70. He, he bypassed the 70, he goes to the 12. Because the 12, and he couldn't find Jesus because Jesus is up on the hill with Moses and Elijah. So he, he finds he goes to the best source that he could get, and they still they got stuck. They couldn't get it done. 
And then Jesus answered in verse 17 and said, Oh, you faithless and perverse or distorted generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here to me. Did he say, oh, this is a hard one? Did he make an excuse for the disciples? Well, they're the twelve. You know, they ain't me. They ain't God. No, what did he say? You're faithless and distorted. You got no faith and you have a warped perception of how this thing works. Now, the disciples were getting results. I know they were getting results. We just read it. Now, all of a sudden, they came up on one where they were over their head. Where they were doing the same thing that they did ten minutes ago or two weeks ago, and they couldn't get it done. <laughs> what? Wouldn't, well, wouldn't you ask, how come we couldn't get it done? I would ask that question. I asked that in my own life. Why can't I? That's how we got on this subject. Because I'm asking God, how come I can't get it done? All right, Andrew, I'll tell you. Go to the next one, Drew. Now, in verse 18, it says, Jesus rebuked the devil. He departed out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. How hard was that? Did he have a big, you know, exorcist kind of thing? Holding up the crucifix? Sprinkling the holy water? Devil, what is your name? Come out! Was there a conversation here? Is this a hard one? This ain't a hard one. He said, get out, and he did. End of story. Now the disciples saw that in verse 19. They came to Jesus apart when the whole crowd left away because I mean, they don't want to embarrass themselves. So they wait till the crowd's gone. They get Jesus by themselves. They say, Jesus. Now I'm sure Peter's loving this because he's standing behind Jesus when it happened. He wasn't down there where they couldn't get the job done. I'm sure he's thinking, well, if I was there, I'd have got the job done. It's the one time I'm not in trouble. You know? And they say, how come we couldn't cast him out? Why could we not cast him out? They're saying, why couldn't we get this job done? Because two weeks ago, ten minutes ago, we were doing it. We just and seventy, they're rejoicing because all the spirit, all the evil spirits are subject to your to them through your name. So here's the question: What's next when you can't get results? When you hit that wall and you can't get any further in your faith, and you've gotten results in the past, and now you can't, what happened? Because now this next thing is huge. It's it's really short in the Bible. It's only a couple lines. But if we just breeze over it, you'll miss everything that Jesus said. And I mean, he says a lot in this next couple of verses. All right, go to the next one. Now, verse 20. And Jesus said to them, because this is a really hard demon, and you know, you just, these are hard demons, you know, to get out. And this guy, he, you know, you know, sometimes you run up against demons that are big and strong, and they're really tough. And you guys are weak compared to me, because I'm the Son of God. It took the Son of God to get this demon out. Is that what he said? Did he talk anything at all about spiritual warfare or demons or anything like that? Evil spirits, Ouija boards, seances, Miss Cleo, the occult, pagans, the wicked witch of the West, or any of those things. Did he say any of that stuff? You know, some hard magic. You know, you've got to get a potion right of it. No, no, no. He said, because of your what? Unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Now, wait a minute. Wait, Jesus, how could you tell me? One of the twelve that two weeks ago, ten minutes ago, we were casting out. We're healing the sick everywhere. How you tell me I don't believe? And what I know from this is that every case is separate. It's got to be. Well, we've already learned that from our righteousness series, that every case, it doesn't matter what your past history is. I mean, you can't ride on what you did yesterday. Which is good if you had a bad day yesterday. You don't want to ride on that anyway. But if you had a good one, you can't rely. Now, see, I've seen faith ministers do that. They had a great, you know, bang out the gate 25 years ago, and I hadn't heard a new faith story since. 
They'll tell me always about what happened 25 or 30 years ago and all the great miracles that happened 25 or 30 years ago. You know what? You ain't believing today. Now, you ha- what a slap in the face because I've had blind eyes open. So did the 12. The 12 didn't even wait 25 or 30 years. It was like 10 minutes or two weeks before they, they'd come across one where they didn't believe. And then he said this, For verily I say unto you, if you have faith, as a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, remove hence and go to yonder place, and it will remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Now see, we'll read that and we'll say, yeah, see, I only have to have a little faith to move a mountain. Go to the next one, Drew. He said, how be it this kind? This kind of what? Is he ta- This kind of faith. What kind of faith? The kind of faith that moves mountains. That kind of faith only goes out by prayer and fasting. Now back up one, Drew. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to understand, he's not talking about the demon. He ain't talking about spiritual warfare. He's not talking about any of that uh, you know, hokey stuff about you've you know, you got to have the you know, um, crucifix out and the holy water. And you know, there's a whole process of you have to ask him what his name is. And then if it's legion and it's many, you know, we better back up and punt because it's a big one. We better have you know, a big prayer meeting and, and you know, cancel all the seances and call down all the curses and pull down. He doesn't say any of that. He's talking about faith. The whole time he's talking about faith and unbelief. Now, what Jesus said about this faith as grain of a mustard seed. Listen, he, you don't start out with faith as a grain of mustard seed and move mountains. You know that, don't you? You know that. If you have a teeny tiny bit of faith, you know you ain't moving mountains with that teeny tiny bit of faith. So what is Jesus saying? You know, over here in Mark um, chapter 3, or Mark chapter 4, I'm sorry. If you look at it, Jesus explains exactly what he talks about when he says, when I talk about a mustard seed, watch this. Well, he explains Mark chapter 4. I'm sorry, did I not say that? Mark chapter 4 and verse 30. Mark 4 and verse 30. Now, I love this because if you don't, you've you got to listen to what Jesus said. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd be like, well, I can move mountains now. But what does he say about mustard seed? What does Jesus say about mustard seed? He says it in Mark 4 and verse 30. He said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what uh, comparison will we compare it to? He said, I know, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds in the earth, but when it is sown and it grows up, you might want to underline that part, grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So what I know about a grain of mustard seed from Jesus is it ain't going to stay that size. If you want to move mountains, you're going to have to plant it, water it, grow up, and then it'll be big. I mean, you might have got results for something and it only took you mustard seed faith to get it out. And then the next one, you'd be like, well, I'm not sure how that worked last time. I mean, I was lucky on that one. Are you in faith now? If you're, if you're wondering, that might have been a fluke. You know, that last time I got healed or the last time something happened, that might have been a fluke. Or, man, I got lucky on that one. Not sure how that worked. You probably were mustard seed faith in it. This thing's got to grow. Now, you know, in Romans 1.17, Paul says this. He says, the righteousness, remember what righteousness is? Equity, riches, honor, and life. The riches, honor, and life of God is revealed from faith to faith. From this level of faith, to the next level of faith, to the next level of faith. So I know the faith's got to grow. It's not just mustard seed. You can't hang out with mustard seed faith and expect to move mountains. You can't hang out with mustard seed faith and expect to get the same results that you got yesterday. If you're not growing, you're dying. 
If you got results yesterday and you're not getting them today, it's probably because you're not growing. And if you're not going and growing and going forward, you're going backward. You'll lose traction. So you might have got results yesterday or two weeks ago or ten minutes ago, and now the next one that comes up, if you're not growing in your faith, it's going to, you're not, you're not going to get results. You're, you're not. That's what Jesus is saying. Now look over here in um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Just so you can see it, you know, I'm not just making this up. You know I'm not, but I want you to see it anyway. 2 Thessalonians 1 and, and verse 3. Paul says this, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, or because it's right. And here's why it's right that they always thank God for them. Because your faith is growing exceedingly. Because your faith grows exceedingly. So a couple things I can take from those three words. Faith growing exceedingly. That your faith can grow, and it can grow in different measured amounts, Right? If it could be exceeding growth, it could be a little growth. Or it could be medium growth, or it could be no growth at all, right? And if your faith isn't growing, and you keep it mustard seed faith, you're going to run into something where you're in over your head. There's just no way around it. Even though you got results in the past, because you can't rest on what you did, because faith is a living thing. You've got to feed it, you've got to water it, in order for it to grow and produce. Just like any crop. If you're in a drought, any, any you know, farmers, they're in, a, they're in a dead panic when they can't get water on their crops. Even though they had a seed and the seed started growing, what if halfway through the growing cycle we got into a drought? They don't produce nothing. Even though it might have produced that same set of seeds it might have produced for you last year, the conditions were different. You, you tracking? Now, he doesn't just leave us hanging, because I love what Jesus says. We just read the rest, though. He gives us the prescription of how to always have your faith growing. Go to the next one. He said, how be it this kind of faith? Not this demon, this kind of faith. He's talking about faith. And what kind of faith? The faith that moves mountains. Not mustard seed faith. He never wants you to stay at mustard seed faith. We all love to have mustard seed faith, because that don't take any work. But you're not going to get results. You might have got results one time with mustard seed faith, two times, the disciples got a few weeks worth out of it, and then all of a sudden they hit the wall. This is this kind of faith. This mountain moving faith goes not out except by prayer and fasting. It, you know, and I always heard, see, this kind of demon don't go out except by prayer and fasting. That's stupid. We just read that the 70 came back rejoicing because every demon on the planet was subject to them through His name and they're not even born again. And they weren't one of the 12. They ain't apostles. They're one of the 70. They're not going to go prayer and fasting in order to get cast demons out. Well, guess what? What if you ran into a demon and you weren't praying and fasting? Now just hang on right there. I know you're frothing at the mouth and you're... Just wait. I'll be back in a week and a half. Okay? Now don't go anywhere. And here's my card in case you want to call me in that time. You see how stupid that is? I mean, teach that junk. And then we buy into it because we heard it one time on TV back in 1960. And then other ministers, they didn't ever track it down, so they just say what they say. You know, anyway, I'm not going to call no names. Listen, Jesus says this kind of faith, this mountain moving faith only goes out except by prayer and fasting. Now, remember Jesus said, 
when, when, when the Pharisees came to him and told, the, told him, you know, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Remember that they were complaining? Because they don't wash their hands before they eat. He said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. Remember, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Right? And again, I'll tell you, what goes into the mouth that will make you holy, devoted to a single purpose. That's the opposite of defiled. It's what comes out of the mouth that will make you devoted to a single purpose. And if your purpose is winning, then it's going to be what comes out of your mouth. He's going to say, and this kind of stuff doesn't come out of your mouth. This mountain-moving faith will not come out of your mouth except by prayer and fasting. Now, we all just like, well, that's, you know, I don't even know what that means. Every time I came across that, it was just hokey. You know, something on the inside of me just kind of said, eh, and it ain't my flesh because I've, I've dieted plenty of times. I could go a long time without food. If I want to, it don't matter. I mean, not anybody that's ever done, you know, struggle with your weight, you know you could do it. For three days, that ain't a problem. I could do it for three days. I could eat water for three, just drink water for that. I could go with nothing for three days. So I know it's not my flesh saying, oh, fasting. I, I know it's not because my flesh has done it before. And guess what? I didn't have mountain moving faith coming out just because I didn't eat for three days. Didn't y'all follow me? So what is he talking about? Now this word fasting in the Greek means abstinence. And I put it up there for us to read it. Abstinence is the practice of choosing. The practice of choosing. Not to do something you would like to do. And it's very closely related to the word self-discipline. So what fasting is, according to you as you will, what your choice is, fasting is your choice not to do something that you would like to do. Now, religious people always get these reversed. They always say fasting and prayer. Or that's what they mean when they say it. And it's always been in the Bible. Before Jesus came, it was fasting and prayer. It was always fasting and then prayer. Jesus says, no, no, prayer first, which leads into fasting. Your prayer time bleeds over into you abstain for something that was enjoyable. See, like, it started for me a, a long time ago because I love NASCAR. But then they started running the Saturday night races and we had church on Sunday morning. I'm trying to get ready for Sunday morning. I'd spend time in prayer on Saturday night. It would bleed over and I missed the race on Saturday night. That was fasting. Not that oh, I'm going to fast the race tonight. Bless God to get ready for tomorrow. My intention wasn't necessarily to miss the race. I just had stuff I had to do to get myself ready for the next day. And because I was doing prayer, it bled over into the race, which meant fasting. I chose to skip the race, or at least the first hour of it. You see what I'm saying? This is what Jesus said. This is how this mountain-moving faith will start coming out of you, is that your prayer time will be so important to you that you'll begin to fast or abstain from it. You'll choose prayer time over other stuff. Because your prayer time will be so good and right now, what's prayer? Now, see, we've got to dial this down, don't we? I wanted to get the fasting out of the way first. Because the important thing is the prayer. The fasting is actually a byproduct of your prayer time. The fasting automatically comes. You don't even have to think about And And here's another thing. We all think it's food because it was food in the old days. You know why it was food in the old days? It's really a time-sensitive issue. Fasting is about a time. How much? Listen, I started cooking here a couple weeks ago. It takes some time to prepare some food. But nothing compared to what it used to take uh, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, when Jesus was on the planet, preparing a meal. That, you couldn't just go you know, get the microwave kind or the canned whatever. I pull something out of the freezer, could you? Oh, you had to go kill it, skin it, you know, butcher it right there. Then you had to do all the preserving and the, and the cook and the salt. That's an all-day thing just to make one meal. So if you fasted that one meal, 
said, well, I ain't cooking today, kids. We, we, we ain't eating tonight. Guess what? You had the whole day free. If you, you, you see that? Fasting right now, how long does it take you to eat? Seriously. Prepare and eat. Maybe 30 minutes at the most. I could get it down to 10 if I had to. Pull something out of the fridge, crack an egg or whatever, I'm done. And it takes me literally 30 seconds to scarf down chow. And then if I just skip that, yeah, if I just skip that and then said, I'm fasting. Now I feel all religious and holy because I skipped 30 seconds. We know, oh, you're just fasting in prayer. Well, you know what? As long as it takes me to eat, it takes me longer to say the prayer before I eat. And you know my prayer is, Father, thank you for this food called Bless Jesus' name, amen. And I already finished. Is that going to get you mountain moving faith? Do you see what I, the thought process, the religious thought process that we got to, you know, give up something for Lent. I knew a guy gave up French fries. He didn't get no mountain moving faith for giving up French fries for six weeks. All he did is probably get a better cholesterol level. But he skipped, no, because he messed up because instead of eating the French fries, he was getting those sliders from Crystal, the Crystal Burgers, which is worse than the fries. Everybody knows those sliders are nasty. You see what I'm saying? You gave up, you gave up French fries for Lent, but you're eating sliders. Why don't you just give up being mean to people for Lent? It's just a religious exercise to make you feel better. That doesn't help you get mountain-moving faith. I mean, you know, I, that doesn't help me at all. It might assuage my guilt, but that don't help me get results. All right, so I know that this fasting is going to happen, this abstinence is going to happen after, as a byproduct of my prayer time. <laughs> what? So what's my prayer time? What does that look like? Bless Johnny and Susie and Mickey and Johnny and us four, no more, and oh God, I need this, oh God, I need, and what is, that's what most people's prayer time is. Isn't it? Let's be honest. Go to the next one, Drew. There's five Greek words in the New Testament that are all translated prayer. Five words for prayer. Remember, there's three words for life, right? Four words for love, five words for prayer. We're going, all up, right, going up the scale. Five words for prayer. Now, this first word. This is what most people are. It's desis. Desis means you're wanting something, you're petitioning, you're asking, or you're entreating God. Oh, God, help me. Oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, please help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. And here's an example of this. It was used 19 times. 19 times in the New Testament. Remember when Gabriel came to Zacharias? We saw this a couple weeks ago. And he said, Zacharias was you know, burning the incense, and he said, listen, you and Elizabeth... And you, you're old in age, you're going to have a baby and it's going to be John the Baptist because your prayer has been heard and answered. Jesus, your petition. They're asking for something. We, need a, we want a baby. I know we're old, but oh God, can we have a baby? How long have they been praying for that? Probably since about a year and a half after they were married. And now they're old. They've been praying and petitioning God. And, and he said, your prayer, your Jesus, your petition has been answered. That's what most people's prayer is. That ain't the prayer. That's not the word Jesus used when he said prayer and fasting. Then I want you to this, this next one. Uh, it's it's antuxis. Antuxis is intercession. It is only used two times in the Bible. So how much intercession are you going to be doing? So we've heard, oh, intercessory prayer. Oh, I'm a great prayer warrior. I'm an intercessor. How much, if you just look at how many times that they talk about these different prayers, how much, I mean, it's the lowest one on the list is intercession. It's the lowest one on the list. You know why? Because you ain't going to help nobody if you can't get help. And if you don't have mountain moving faith, what are you, why are you praying for me? Please don't pray for me. I'll pray for me. I don't know what your people are. I'm praying for you. What, what are you praying? Well, I'm praying that it all goes good. And I, you know what? Don't, don't, listen, that's back to petitioning and all that. That's great. I'll petition for myself. I appreciate, I appreciate the thought, but don't pray for me. Pray for yourself. 
and, and don't, get on, don't get stuck on petitioning. Don't get stuck on inter- intercession. It's the lowest one. And that, that shock you, don't it? That doesn't sound very Christian. We need to lift up one another in prayer. You do, but you don't need to intercede. Why do you got to intercede? Who's our intercessor? Yeah. Who's our advocate? Yeah, thank you. And you know who else intercedes on our behalf? The Holy Ghost. You want to pray for somebody else? Pray the Ephesians prayer for them. Because what I'm praying is I'm loosening and, and, and opening up an avenue for you to be filled with all the fullness of God. For you to be rooted and grounded in love. And to know the height, depth, breadth, and length of the love of Christ. Right? You see what I'm saying? I don't have to be you know, a great prayer warrior. Really? What are you doing? Because according to my Bible, that's the lowest one on the list. And then there's another one. It's, it's uh, UK it is, and it means vow or a votive pledge. Now this is the one where you know, it hits the fan and you'd be like, I swear to God, God, if you get me out of this jam, I'll be good the rest of my life. That's used three times and only used one time as a prayer. The other two times it's, it's, uh, it's translated vow. Remember when Paul went to the uh, temple and he, they were all upset at him because he was preaching to the Gentiles. And so to prove that he was a Jew, he took a vow and shaved his head and went to the temple. That's the word vow. It's an act. You know, the only time that this... This is blow your mind. This will blow your mind. The only time that this word is used as prayer, vow, a votive pledge, that's your choice. You choose and you make a vow. I swear to God. You know when it's used? The prayer of faith, the vow of faith will save the sick. That's in James 5. I think it's like verse 16 or 17. Remember, the, the prayer of faith will save the sick. Y'all heard that? We heard that banded around. No one ever taught me that it was the vow of faith. Here, you, you know what? When you're, in a, you're sick on your bed, and here's, here's, here's what God's looking for. <laughs> I swear to God I'm getting healed. I swear to God I'm getting out of this bed because Jesus' stripes have already healed me. That's the prayer of faith. That's the vow of faith. That'll save the sick. Not, oh God, heal me. And I, you know. It's only used one time. One time. The only time that you should be making a vow of God is when it's a vow of faith. I swear to God I'm going to win. Well, you shouldn't swear to God. That's right, you shouldn't. That's why he says only one time you do it. One time. And it better be attached to faith that you're winning. Now, here's the one that Jesus talked about. Prosuke. Prosuke is used 37 times in the Bible. It means this, private worship. Private worship in the Greek. It actually means worship in an oratory. Now, oratory has now become like a chapel. But when oratory first started, oratory for the Jews, have you ever heard Jesus like go in your prayer closet? That's the oratory. Your prayer closet is your oratory. When you go in your prayer closet and you have worship time, that's what this word means, is private worship. Private worship. Private worship. I ain't asking for nothing. I ain't interceding for anybody. I ain't kind of trying to cut a deal with God so that if I do, you know, you do this, I'll do that. Well, all I'm doing is I'm getting alone, private worship in my prayer closet, if you will. Actually, you know, when when it first started, the prayer closet was really down by a stream, out somewhere. It was like in, you know, back in the Babylonian, um, uh, wow, what's the word? They were captured and took away. To, what was that? You know, what am I talking about? Man, I can't believe I can't think of the word. Anyway, they were in captivity. Remember Judah and Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Ezekiel? And they were uh, expatriates over there in Babylon. And they were captured there. For, there's no temple. There's no synagogues. There's no nothing. So what they would do for their oratory, they would go down by a stream in private and worship God. 
That's when they would do their worship by themselves. Exile, that's the word I was looking for. When they were in exile, ah, I don't know what happened there. Y'all following though? Y'all, y'all catch it? Okay, so that's the, that's the word. Or it's private worship. This is the one Jesus is using. Pri- prayer and fasting. Private worship and fasting. So private worship would roll over. My time of private worship would bleed over into stuff that is really enjoyable to me. But you know what? It's not that enjoyable that I would rather worship. So I choose not to go, you know what, God, I'm not going to cut this short because the green flag's about to wave. You know what? That can wait. I'm going to keep, I'm going to hang out here with you. Now that, that starts to make sense because I know that faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. But remember, there's two words. Logos, written word, and rhema, spoken word. Faith comes from the rhema, spoken word. And the only way God can talk to you is if you're having a relationship with Him. This kind of prayer is spirit-to-spirit communication. This is the kind of prayer where I'm having a relationship with Him. Remember what the word worship means? All worship is is an expression of love and adoration and ad- adoration, appreciation and devotion. Love, adoration, appreciation, and devotion. And gratitude. I'm going to spend time... That's what I do when I worship my wife. We have relationship. When I express to her how much I love her, and we hang out and we have coffee, how I many know that will bleed into some stuff? Well, some will look, oh man, look at the time i got to go. How I many we do that all the time? <gasps> look at the time. Why? Because we're just enjoying hanging out together. This is private worship that Jesus is talking. This is how that mountain moving faith is going to come out of you. Is if you have that kind of relationship, you know why? Because faith is based. You know what faith is all? This all faith is that you just have absolute trust and confidence that God's going to do what He said He'll do. And the only way you have confidence in somebody, the only way you trust somebody, is by what? Having a relationship. The longer the track record is that you have with them, the more you communicate. Isn't that what relationships are based on? If I know, I mean, we communicate. I'm going to, you know, I. My trust level is going to go up. If you did something that I don't understand, that I might take offense at or whatever, if I talk to you and I find out well, what your heart was or what your intention was or why you did a certain thing, then okay, I get that. And I don't take offense at it. But you know how many if I, if I don't ever ask about that? I just kind of mumble and grope. Well, I can't believe she did that. can't believe she did that. If I did that with my wife, instead of talking to her about what was going on, well, we're going to have a trust level? No, the walls are up and you know what? Less and less trust. Less and less confidence. More and more doubt. More and more fear. And you know what? Pretty soon that will end up in divorce. Same thing with God. You can't have that trust, that confidence in Him if you don't have the relationship with Him. Now the last word is prosukamai. Prosukamai is private worship, but during private worship, this is the prayer that is used most times, 87 times it's used in the New Testament. It's during private worship that you supplicate. Do you remember what supplicate means? I know it's been a long time since we talked about it. It means to appeal and cite a higher authority. Now what's the highest authority that we could cite on an appeal? The Word of God, isn't it? Is there any higher authority than the Word of God? If we, to you? Now, it would be like this. Um, all you football fans, you know how the coach has that, uh, that red thing? He usually keeps it in his sock. It's the red flag and he throws it out there and it's called the coach's challenge. Do you know what he's doing? He's supplicating. He's appealing, citing a higher authority. He's going to go to the guy in the booth because he didn't like what the guys on the ground called. So he's going to go to the booth because they could look at it over and over again in slow motion. He's going, to, he's going to the higher authority of replay than live action, what you saw. I don't trust what you guys saw is what he's saying. Let's go to the replay. This is supplication. I'm going to cite a higher authority and make my appeal. Now, during private worship, is this asking for stuff? I'm not asking for stuff. It's not petition. Oh God, give me this. Oh God, because if you have private worship, you understand that it's already given to you. 
You don't have to ask what He's already given to you. But what you're going to do is you're going to get in there and you supplicate. And this is remember when we talked about declaring and plead your cause. Give me your strong reasons. That's supplication. During my private worship, I'm going to declare what I want to happen. I'm going to give Him my strong reasons. I'm going to go over my after-action report and I'm going to say, God, this was your idea, not mine. You, you all following that? That's most of your prayers should be. 87 times. You remember when Paul said, pray without ceasing? That's prosukamai. That means I'm going to be in a state of private worship and during that time, private worship, as I'm going through my life and something comes up, I'm going to supplicate. I'm going to appeal and cite a higher authority. I'm going to cite the highest authority that I got is the Word of God. So whenever I come up against something, bang, pray without ceasing. Father, I love you. I know you're good. By Jesus' stripes, I've already been healed. You thought it up, not me. So, body, I call you healed. Pray without ceasing. That means I always have that open line of communication. I'm ready to go and cite the highest authority at any second. 87 times. I go to the next one, Drew. Alright, so, private worship. Private worship. What does that look like? What does my private worship look like, Andrew? Really, God only, Jesus Himself really only gives us two, two choices. It's not even a choice. It's got to be one and the other. He said in John 4.23, remember the woman at the well, he said, but the hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must, they that worship Him must, worship Him in what? Spirit and in truth. So here's our private worship. We've got private worship. Now, uh, a lot of times when we come in here to corporate worship, corporate worship stinks. Just be straight up with you. Man, people are looking around and, oh, and you know, whatever. This you know why corporate worship stinks? Because you don't have any private worship before you come here to do corporate worship. A lot of people, the only worship at all that they get is corporate worship. They don't do any private worship. So when we get here to do corporate worship, it's like you ain't talked to somebody in a week or it could be two weeks or six weeks or however long the last time it was that you came to corporate worship. And then what? It's like getting to know each other all over again. Hey, how you doing? Well, what's up? Then you had the awkward silence. So, you know, I, I love my private worship time. I almost, it's not that I don't like corporate worship, but it's kind of like, you know, taking a bath with your socks on sometimes. You know, it's just like, it's not, not firing on all eight cylinders. This isn't really that great because there's a lot of distractions. People aren't, you know, when everybody pulls together and we're fitly joined in corporate worship, and there is a couple days out of the year that corporate worship in here is really, really great. And we all know, man, that was great. Well, I don't know what happened that day. We must all, everything must have lined up. or everybody, Somebody might have had five minutes of private worship before they got here. I don't know. But it was great. But most of the time, it's not great. Just being honest. Now, my private worship, that's great. I've never had a time where private worship was just like, yeah, that's, that was just lame. Never. So how do I come before the Father and express? Remember, worship is expressing love, gratitude, adoration, and devotion. You just tell God how much I love you. Spend some time with Him. Now I can do it in two ways, and I have to do it in these two ways. There's no other way outside these two ways that it qualifies for worship because they that worship Him must worship Him, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now we're probably not even going to get to what time... We're not going to get to the in spirit part today. We'll work on it in the next week probably. We'll probably not even get to it today. But what I want to look at is this in truth. We'll start off with in truth. Now go to the next one for me, Drew. What's the truth? John 17, 17 said, this is what Jesus, He was praying to the Father. He said, Father, sanctify them through Thy truth. 
and thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Now, I know that the word is truth, so in my private worship time, all I'm going to do, because I know it's oral worship, I know it's oral worship, because you remember there's other components to worship. You could give to somebody gifts, remember, that's offerings. You could do service for them, ministry, do stuff for them, but that's not what this prayer time, prayer time, this is oral. I'm going to say something. I have to say, I have to speak it out, I have to say it. I can't think it. We'll see that here in a minute. But it's the Word. So one of the things that I'm going to do in my prayer time is I'm going to speak the Word because I have to worship. In order for it to be worship, it has to be in spirit and in truth. So if I'm going to say anything, it's got to be the Word. This is private worship that will lead into fasting that will give me mountain-moving faith. I've got to speak the Word. So people ask me, Andrew, what do you pray when you pray? I pray the Word. If it's not the Word, I'm not praying it. Otherwise, it doesn't count as worship. If you're going to petition for something, that's different. That's not this prayer time that we're talking about. And during this prayer time, it's private worship. It leads to fasting or abstinence. I only speak God's Word. Anything other than God's Word does not qualify for worship except what I say in spirit, which we'll get to in a minute, if we get to it at all today. So if I'm going to say anything that's not in spirit, I have to say it in Word. I have to say the Word. That's why I write stuff down. That's why I had that body prayer. That's, but that's really a declaration over my body. Here's the word that I usually preach. I, I usually say during my worship time. We say the Ephesians prayer. And we have one called Heavenly Nature where we basically um, we speak the word that's out of Thessalonians and Galatians where I say, you know, today, Father, I'm going to put on my heavenly nature. And I'm going to walk the way that Jesus walked. And speak the word. It's all the word. Anything other than that, it doesn't qualify for as worship. Y'all tracking with that? Now, it says sanctify them through the truth. Remember, what sanctify means is set apart. And, you know, when I was uh, growing up, I was like in fifth grade, and at the end of the year, we had like an auction for all your, uh, if you did good grades and all that, you get points. And then with your points, or they were fake dollars, really, you could bid on stuff at the auction. Well, I got a box of 5,000 baseball cards. It's a shoebox. And I looked through there. Now, I didn't find one, but I was looking for like a Babe Ruth rookie card. I mean, if I found the Babe Ruth rookie card inside all the other junk cards, I would have set that one apart. You wouldn't think I would have just kept it in the box? No, that one's going special. That's what what sanctifies. I said it sets you out from the pack. God said, uh, you know, when you're in my word, when you're doing my truth, when you're speaking my truth, I'm going to pull you out of the pack and raise you up above the pack and, and set you aside as special like a Babe Ruth rookie card. That'll bring you some results. If you're not praying the Word, that's why I tell people don't pray for me because I know they're not praying the Word for me. They don't even know the Word. How could they pray it? You see? And if you want to pray, pray the Ephesians prayer because that's the Word. And it's the, word, it's the same prayer that Paul prays. It's the same prayer that the Holy Spirit prays for you. So it would be good enough you know, for me to pray it for you. Me making up one on my own, that's that not helping any. It doesn't help you and it doesn't help me. It's a waste of breath. And then we wonder why we don't get results. See, because you're not going to grow if you're not... Now, remember, growing with this uh, mustard seed faith. Remember, to grow something, you have to water it and you have to feed it. Now, I know that the Word is food, right? Look over here in in Hebrews chapter 5. Y'all had enough yet? (laughs) kind of low-key today, isn't it? Isn't it? 
It's low key. There's nothing wrong with that, is it? All right, so Hebrews chapter 5 and verse... Let's start in verse 12. Y'all got it? Okay. For when, for the time, you ought to be teachers or masters or instructors, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Isn't that the, that's the word of God, isn't it? Of course it is. And he is a babe, but strong meat belongs to them of full age, that are of full age, even those whom by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So I know that if you're not in the word, and this word isn't part of your private worship time, now it's not just praying the word, but I've got to get into the word as part of my private worship time. Y'all see that? That's why Jesus said, unless you're doing this, you're not going to have mountain moving faith. You're still stuck on mustard seed faith. If you're, going to, if you're only getting milk, milk ain't going to make you grow big and strong. If you, all you have is milk. You've got to feed, food, feed, food, meat. You all tracking with that? This is your private worship time. This is not when I just come to church and hear the Word. This is I getting the Word from me. Remember, he said, and he said you, you, the oracles of God. Oracles are spoken, aren't they? When you study this Word, you're going to get rhema, and faith comes from rhema. That's how you're going to get mountain moving faith. You know what? I, do, I Seriously, right now, I have no faith to move a mountain. You know what? God didn't tell me to move a mountain. I have no rhema to move a mountain. This kind of mountain moving faith only comes from private worship and fasting. That's me having a relationship with God to get rhema and faith only comes, that kind of faith comes by rhema. See, there's a level of natural faith that really we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. That's what get your own process. If you have to start out with supplements, that's natural faith. That ain't mountain moving faith. That's mustard seed faith. And if you never get past mustard seed faith, you'll never get results at a higher level than just fighting it out naturally. People in covenant have natural faith. I mean, people outside the covenant have natural faith. That's how Donald Trump did everything he did. He could see it. Michael Phelps, another one. I don't know if these guys are in covenant or not. They never say it. But they see themselves winning, and then they go do it. It's natural faith. If you want to get beyond that, you've got to have rhema. Go to the next one, Drew. All right, now, we'll, get on, we'll, we'll start with spirit. We've just got five minutes, and then we'll, we'll just hit it real quick, because I don't want to leave it hanging, and we'll get into it deeper next week. Is that all right? Okay, so the other thing is, if it's not truth... If I'm not having truth in my spiritual worship time, it can only be in our private worship time, it can only be in spirit. That's the other option is in spirit. And it said be both of them. Go to the next one. This this looks like Ephesians 6 and verse 18. We all know this verse. Everybody knows this verse. Have you been in church more than 10 minutes? It's right at the back of put on the whole armor of God. Then he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Did he say intercession for all the saints? Let's start at the bottom. He said supplication for all the saints. So what do you see? Well, we need to intercede. No, you don't. You need to supplicate for the saints. That means that I speak the word, because remember, supplication is I appeal citing the higher authority. Highest authority is the word. So that means I'll make an appeal based on the word for another saint, which is, again, the Ephesians prayer. If you be filled with all the fullness of God, how many know you arrive? If you're filled with all the fullness of God, you ain't got to pray one more thing for me. Do you? No. 
Do you have to pray anything for Jesus? Oh, Lord, Father, God in heaven, help Jesus. You know he needs some help. No, he's filled with all the fullness of God. All right, so this word praying right here, the first word, this is prosukamai. This is supplication during private worship. So he says praying always. So you're going to supplicate with, during private worship all the time, always. And then he breaks it down. With all prayer, with all private worship and supplication. See how he broke the two things down? That's exactly what it means. Supplicate during private worship. He says, here's the two things that make up your prayer time always is that you're going to supplicate and you're going to have private worship. He says, with all, that Greek word for all means daily and entirely. That means private worship is a daily thing. Daily. But we know that. If I worship my wife, I'm worshiping her daily. If I'm not with her, I'm calling her. There's not a day that goes by that I don't talk to her. I don't think there's a day that went by that I haven't talked to her since I was deployed to Iraq back in 1991. If I couldn't get to a phone, I mean, every chance I got, I got to a phone to talk to her. Same thing with God. He says, and how do you do it? How do you pray always with all prayer and supplication? How? In the what? Did he say in the truth? No, in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. All perseverance. Because how I many you know if you're in the Spirit, there's going to be times when your flesh just don't feel like doing it. That's where the fasting part comes in. Remember we said you had to make a choice? Because you're going to be in the middle of this and your flesh is going to say, Survivor's on! Or, That big game is about to start! Your favorite show's on. That's what's going to happen. This is where you've got to say, no, I'm in the middle of private worship here. Because you know what the Holy Spirit will tell you? Can you just hang on for five more minutes? Just give me five more minutes. It's your choice. And you'll be like, wow, man. Really, really, I wanted to, you know, oh, can I get back to you after Survivor? Or whatever. Put in whatever the thing is. Do you see what I'm saying? It could be a football game, a golf game, hanging out with your buddies. It doesn't matter what it is. But this, this is huge because if you want mountain season, people, they really don't want mountain moving faith. Let's just be honest. They want the results of mountain moving faith, but they don't want to have to do the growth process to get there where we get it. It's just true. And you know what? And I'm, I'm, I know the word, I'm doing the word, oh God, I'm doing the word. Really? When was the last time you hung out with me and had private worship? And do you have a track record of that? Because growing is gro- growing. Don't do don't do it for two weeks and then we stop for six months, right? And I'm not saying you got to be in there for two hours a day or six hours a day. It could turn into that. But how much time? You know what? Every chance that Kimmy and I get to sit down and talk, we're doing it. When we get some quiet, the kids are busy. They're at school. They finally we got a couple minutes. You know, we don't go. Well, you know what? I, I don't have an hour right now, baby. So I'm not even going to spend five minutes with you. That's just stupid. We do it with God, though. I can't block off an hour time, God, so, you know, I'll catch you next Sunday. I'll give you a whole hour and a half next Sunday. No, I mean, any kind of, you know, when you're in the car, turn the car, the talk radio off for a couple minutes and more. Whatever. You could talk to Him anytime. That's what pray without ceasing. In the Spirit. So, what's this in the Spirit mean? Here, uh, go to the next one, girl. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. Now, look, we don't want to step on anybody's toes and stuff, right? But this is, this is it. I mean, the word's the word. I'm not, I can't get around it, right? I'm not make, it won't make anybody hokey in here, but. Uh, you know, outside these walls, you get a little freaky. People, they have resistance to this. So if you have resistance to this, well, you know what? You, you can resist mountain moving faith. But here's the, uh, in spirit and in truth. Here's in spirit. 
1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. My understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing also with the understanding. This is why I pray. If I'm not praying the Word, because in spirit and in truth, everything that comes out of my mouth, if it's not the Word, I'm praying in other tongues. It's not popular around here, but I don't care. That's praying in the Spirit. Now, we'll spend more time on this next week. I'll talk about it next week, but I wanted to hit it. Not, we're not going to dance around it just because it's not popular. But if, you don't, if you're not praying the Word in your private worship time, then you should be praying in unknown tongues. You should be praying in other tongues. You should be praying in the Spirit. That's what the Bible calls praying in the Spirit. That's private worship. So here's we've got two things. I will pray. This is private worship. I'll do private worship in the Spirit. It's actually the word prosukamai. I'll private worship with supplication in the Spirit, and I'll private worship with supplication at the understanding also. When my understanding is going, what is it coming out of my mouth? What's coming out of my mouth if I'm praying with my understanding? Not praying in the Spirit. I'm not praying in unknown tongues. I'm praying with my understanding. It means I know what I'm saying, what's coming out of my mouth, if it counts as private worship. The Word. It can only be the Word. It can't be anything other than the Word. If it's anything that doesn't line up with the Word, it is not private worship. Then you're back on to either petitions, you're on making a vow, right? Or you're, or, or you're trying to intercede. <laughs> you all following this? So here's what my private worship time looks like. I'm speaking the word, and then I'm, you know what, you know what, here's what I, what I do with my understanding. Do you know I know the names of God? When you say the names of God, is that the word? That's the word, they're all in the word. How else would I know the names of God? Here's the names of God. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. The God who sees ahead and provides. El Shaddai. Father, I thank you, you're El Shaddai. You're the God that's more than enough for me. More, the almighty God that's more than enough. Jehovah, I am the self-existing one. El Elyon, the first possessor of the heavens and the earth. Elohim, my triune God. The one that created everything. Do you see what this is? That's my understanding. That's private worship. I'm telling him how great he is and I'm using all His name. Right out of the Word. He said, I'll also sing with the Spirit. This is all part of your private word. I'll sing with the Spirit and I'll sing with the understanding. That's why you've got to be careful what you're singing. Because there's a lot of little quote, quote, Christian songs that ain't, that ain't the Word. So my repertoire of word songs are pretty down pretty low. There ain't that many of them out there because we start getting off into doubt and unbelief and, you know, come by here, Jesus, and all that crap. You know what? Jesus is already here. He said He'd make your boat with you, in you. Why do you tell Jesus, come by here? He's already here. Right? Otherwise, He's a liar. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. He already forgave you. Otherwise, He's a liar. I didn't just forgive you. I forgave all the sins of the whole world. Right? 1 John 2, 1. See, this is praying in the Spirit and with my understanding. That's the two components that make up private worship. Go to the next one. This is the last one for me for today, Drew. Here's what it looks like in Ephesians 5 and verse 18. He says this, Don't be drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be being filled with the Spirit. Speaking, what? Speaking, what? Speaking, what? Speaking. Do you see? Speaking. Private worship ain't, I'm just, you know, there ain't no unspoken prayer requests in private worship. You ever been in those services? What? Who has a prayer request? Unspoken. Today we're going to have silent prayer. Let's all bow our heads for some silent prayer. It ain't, wor- it ain't private worship then. Death and life are in the power of the, not the mind. 
Speaking to yourself. So that's why he said get in a prayer closet. You've got to get somewhere where you're not going to feel like a fruit loop talking to God and it's just you and him in the room. Because if other people can hear you, you'd be like trying to get quiet and stuff. I ain't saying be loud, but how do you talk to somebody sitting right next to you? I don't whisper to my wife when she's sitting on the couch and I'm like, hey baby, what's up? Why are you whispering? Do you see what I'm saying? Speaking to who? Yourself. Speaking, because that's what it is. You and God in a room. This is private worship. It ain't corporate worship. You're speaking to yourself. In Psalms, that's the word. Hymns, remember songs that are, you know, line up with the word and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always. In the Greek it says giving thanks always above and beyond all things. Over and beyond all things. That means whatever I'm in the middle of right now, Father, I thank you that I'm over and beyond it. No matter what it is. And I tell you, even if it's good right now, I'm over and beyond it because it's better over and beyond. Isn't it, isn't it going to be better? Is it, can life always get better? Absolutely. If life stops getting better, guess what? You ain't growing. Now you're back to mustard seed faith. The thing's got to grow. It should always be getting better. Does that mean you're not in a rough spot? No. There might be some times where you come in a rough spot, but it always get better. And even if it's really great, you don't see how your life could get better, it could get better. That's part of your private worship. You're thanking Him. You're appreciative. Man, I thank God that I got a beautiful wife. I thank God that I got beautiful, obedient, wonderful children. I thank God that I got a great house. I thank God for good friends. You know, start thanking God for the good stuff that you've got. Pretty soon you ain't worried about the other junk. Most people's prayer time is we focus in on the other junk and, oh, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. If you can't get me out of this, oh, I swear to God, I'll be good. And so you're back to desis, which is petitioning, and making a vow. Which that doesn't help you at all. It doesn't help you at all. It doesn't help you at all. Jesus said, this kind of faith goes out. This kind, this kind, this kind of mountain moving faith will come out of you by private worship and fasting. Giving thanks always unto all things, the God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The time spent doing this will automatically produce fasting or abstinence from stuff that you like doing. It'll automatically, like, you'll stop liking it as much. And you'll like hanging out with God more. You know why? Because it produces results. And I said, it's going to give you that kind of faith that you'll get stuff done in your life. It'll happen. And you won't get stuck like the disciples and be like, well, how come we couldn't get it done, Jesus? I know why you couldn't get it done. Jesus told me, he said, I know, because of your what? Unbelief. And you got stuck on mustard seed faith and you didn't ever get past that. You didn't grow. And you don't spend any time in private worship and fasting. Before Jesus came, it was always fasting and petitions. It was always, you know, I give up stuff for God and then I ask Him what I want. And that's always been how it's been presented to me. Even people that are, you know, Holy Ghost filled. Well, you know, I don't know whether to take that job or not, so I'm going to spend a couple days fasting. What are you doing? You're petitioning. You're asking, God, give me direction. So I'm going to stop eating for three days and maybe God, that'll make God, what are you, a two-year-old? I'm not eating until you tell me what to do, God. I'm not eating until I get my way. That ain't mountain, that's not faith. That's, you know, extortion. You know what, God be like, don't eat, go ahead, I don't care. It ain't going to hurt me none. Jesus, hand me a Snickers. Mm-mm. Sure you don't want some? Oh wait, you're fasting. Trying to get me to do something for you. That, that's stupid. That's how it's been taught. And that's what we got we to go do that so we can get this demon cast out. No, no, no. You want mountain moving faith. The faith that grows past where you get results, where you're not stuck anymore, then have some time in, in, in private worship and in fasting. 
And I'll spend some more time maybe on, that, on, on the Spirit. I mean, no one in here really has questions about that, uh, the group that's in here right now. They don't have questions about praying in unknown tongues, but how much do we do it? I have people that are born again, they're filled with the Spirit, and they'll be like, well, I don't really pray in tongues that much. Well, why not? Why wouldn't you? Seriously. Why would you not? I mean, it's one of the... It's in spirit. It's one of the... I mean, it's, it's a tool that God's given you to produce that kind of relationship with Him that you'll have confidence in everything that He does so you'll have mountain-moving faith. Don't shy away from that. Well, it's weird. Yeah, I know. So's moving a mountain with your words. That's really weird. Really weird is that you like say stuff and it does it. But we want that. We just don't want to do the growth process to get there. Amen? Y'all stand to your feet with me. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. Seal it in our hearts. Thank You for Your goodness. Holy Spirit, bring to our remembrance this week, when we do have time, to engage in some private worship. And the more that we engage in private worship, it'll bleed over into times of abstinence or uh, we, we choose not to do something that we really like to do because we like hanging out with you better. And then as we do that, and it gets better and better, and, and when we begin to grow, we'll have that mountain-moving faith. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.